Well, so far as we've been looking at the record of Jesus' birth in Luke's Gospel, we have been introduced to Jesus Christ, the God-man. And then we have heard from God the Father in heaven through the voice of an angel. Now, who do you suppose we ought to expect to hear from next? If you said the Holy Spirit, you are correct. How many think this morning all three members of the Trinity were involved at the birth of Jesus Christ? Yes, absolutely. And as we think about that, I want you to think with me for just a moment. All three were also involved at Jesus' baptism, weren't they? Uh, Jesus was introduced to Israel in His ministry at His baptism. And you recall when He came up out of the water that what was heard from heaven? The voice of God the Father, wasn't it? who said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then who else descended? The Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove. Now the interesting thing is the pattern at Jesus' baptism as He was introduced to the nation is the same as at His birth as He was born to the nation. Jesus Christ comes, God the Father speaks, And the Holy Spirit unmistakably identifies Him. You remember what was said to John the Baptist. He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is He. And the Spirit came as Jesus came up out of the waters to identify Him. So now, just as we would expect, the Holy Spirit comes at Jesus' birth to identify Him as our Savior. How many of you think this morning God does not want us to miss the sending of His Son? Yes. And how many of you think God does everything necessary to point us to who our Savior is? Of course. And so this morning, we are going to see the witness of the Holy Spirit through this very interesting man by the name of Simeon's. Now, Simeon's witness, as we're going to see, is really the witness of the Holy Spirit, just as we would expect. And so, let's take our Bibles again this morning and turn to Luke chapter 2. In the chair Bible in front of you, it is the third gospel in the New Testament, find chapter 2. And this morning, we want to look at this remarkable man And more than that, his remarkable message about the Lord Jesus Christ as he met him in the temple when Jesus' parents were bringing him there to dedicate him to the Lord. Let's take a moment and pray together. Father, we're so grateful that you are a very precise God. You're a very careful God. And you have brought together everything that is necessary so that we can have confidence in who is the Savior. And we can know that He is your Son. And that we with full and total faith can embrace Him as our Savior, our Lord, 
and our King. Thank You for these ordinary people that did something very extraordinary because You were working in their lives and doing so for our sake. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now as we open up the account here in Luke chapter 2, we are introduced to this man named Simeon. And we learn first a little bit about his ministry. Let's notice verse 25 down to verse 28. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see his death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, as is revealed in verses 22 to 24, Simeon took him up in his arms, and he blessed God. Now let's just stop there for a moment. Simeon is the only person in the account who is actually said to have held the baby Jesus in his arms. Now, we obviously know that for Mary to lay him in the manger, she had to hold him. But in terms of actually being said that they held the baby Jesus, Simeon is the only one in this account. Now, what this means, brothers and sisters, then, is what we see here is absolutely unique. It is extraordinary. It is a -a one-of-a-kind incident in the birth narrative. But even more than significant than Simeon holding the baby Jesus is what Simeon said about him. Now there are two reasons that Luke describes for us as to why we should believe Simeon today when we see what he had to say about Jesus. Let me give you those reasons. Number one, he was a man of God. And therefore, he would not lie. You'll notice that the first thing we are told about Simeon has to do with his personal life. We're not told about uh, what his occupation was. We're not told his age. What we are told is about his personal life. My old professor Daryl Box says that what we read here describes a man of rare spiritual quality. He's a man of extraordinary, extraordinary integrity. Look at the things that are said about him. Number one, he was righteous. That means he had a high moral character. In verse 25, it says he was devout. That means he was conscientious in his religious service of God as a Jewish man. And then you will notice in verse 25... He was waiting for Christ. He was looking daily for the coming of the Lord's Messiah. When it says that uh, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, that's an expression that referred to the golden age of Israel that was to come someday when the Messiah came and established his kingdom. Luke here is uh, very clearly referring back to a, a prophecy that we know well from Isaiah 41 and 2, where the prophet Isaiah says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. 
Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And what Isaiah was prophesying was two things. Israel would repent and they would be forgiven. And then God would begin to fulfill His wonderful promises. Now since all of this was going to happen in the future, when Christ came, the rabbis applied this verse to Christ. In fact, they called Him by this Hebrew word for comfort. There was a traditional Jewish prayer based on this that said, May I see the consolation of Israel. As I was growing up as a, as a boy, uh, my parents would often take us to the famous Maranatha Bible Conference that was on the shores of Lake Michigan. And we would learn what Maranatha meant. Maranatha meant the Lord is coming soon. But I never knew the history of that word until one day I read about it in the Daily Bread. And what I learned was this, Maranatha was a greeting of the early church. And uh, when they would meet, instead of saying uh, hello, instead of saying goodbye, what they would say to each other is Maranatha. Maranatha. The Lord is coming soon. And those early believers lived in such anticipation of the second coming of Christ after He had come the first time and they had believed in Him that for them every day was Maranatha. Now I want you to think about that this morning. That's what Simeon was like. Every day for Simeon was Maranatha. Not for the second coming, but for his first coming. Now this morning, if we were a Jewish audience, we would all be very, very impressed with this man. What more could you possibly say about him? If you were looking for a character reference on your resume, this is the guy that you would want. If you had him on your resume, there would be no need for a background check for him. If this man vouches for you, you're in. And I want you to remember how Luke began his gospel. He said, I did a, a thorough investigation as I interviewed the witnesses so that you would have certainty about the things that you have believed. And Simeon's reputation was so well known that Luke could write about it without any hesitation that someone would raise an objection and say, this is not an incredible man. See, he was a man of God, and therefore he would not lie. Well now, if his life looks great, I want you to look at what is said about his ministry. If this is impressive, look at what is said about how God used him. He was a prophet. He was a prophet. You see, it is one thing to say this man wouldn't lie, 
But now that Luke identifies him as a prophet, it takes it to a whole new level. If we were to ask this question this morning, what was a prophet in the Old Testament, we could very quickly discern what that was. And as we apply that to Simeon, this is what the Bible is teaching us. He was a prophet of God, and therefore he could not err. Now, I want you to put those two together. It's one thing to say you can't lie. It's another thing to say, in what you're about to say, you can't err. You can't be mistaken. Now, what about this question here that says, what was a prophet in the Old Testament? Well, here's what we discover. A prophet had three things that were true of them. Number one, they were anointed for prophetic ministry over and over again. Some 64 times in the Old Testament, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came upon God's prophets. And then uh, they were selected for prophetic ministry. Anything that was new, God revealed through His prophets. Amos 3.7 says this, For the Lord God does nothing without revealing His secret to His servants, the prophets. And finally, number three, they were directed for prophetic testimony. The Spirit of God led them to where God wanted them to speak. Now, let me ask you, uh, do you think all three of these are revealed here of Simeon? And what's the answer? The answer is yes. Look at verse 25. Verse 25 says, The Holy Spirit was upon him. Look at verse 26. It says, It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. And then look at verse 27. It says, he came into the temple in the Spirit. He was under the impulse of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, do you see this? All three of the elements of an Old Testament prophet are true of Simeon. Now here's what is so very critical. Every one of us knows what the true test of a prophet was. If you were a prophet of God, here was the test of whether or not God had sent you. Look at Deuteronomy 18.22, and I want you to read the yellow print with me. Okay? I'll read the white print. You join me on the yellow print. Okay? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken the prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Now look at that. 
A true prophet of God could not err, could he? He could not be mistaken. This threefold ministry of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit was upon him, the Holy Spirit had revealed to him, the Holy Spirit directed him. That threefold ministry guarded a true prophet of God so they could not err. Now, let's just put this together. You have a man who had such integrity he would not lie. And now he was a true prophet of God. He could not err. Can we have all the confidence in the world in what he had to say about the baby Jesus? Can we? You better believe that we can. No wonder Luke wants us to know this account. You know... uh, I was thinking this week when I was a student uh, many, many years ago in Chicago. One day, we were witnessing at the famous Water Tower Place Mall in Chicago. It was just a few blocks from the school where I was at. And I'll never forget, as we were there seeking to witness to people about Christ, we met a man who said that he was not interested in hearing what we had to share. But he told a very interesting story. He said, when I was in the military, we had a soldier in our barracks who always had a constant collection of pornography. And he said to me, we actually referred to him as our little smut peddler. And then he said, one day, everything changed. He said he got rid of all of his pornography, and instead, he began carrying a Bible Everywhere he went. And the man said to us, I always wondered what happened to him. And so we said to him, wouldn't you like to know? He said, no. And that was the end of the conversation right there. And I've thought about that. Here was a man who had all the evidence he needed that Christ, through the Bible, can change a life. He had seen it. But he didn't want to go there. He didn't want to go there. You see, his problem was not that he couldn't believe. His problem was what? He didn't want to believe. He didn't even want to hear. I want to ask you this morning, if God sent Simeon, a man of God who would not lie, who was a prophet of God who could not err, do we have all the evidence we need to believe? Of course we do. Of course we do. You see, if we want to believe, there is nothing keeping us from believing. Well, now, as wonderful as this is about Simeon the man, it's one thing to say, hey, the Messiah is here, this is the one. 
But it's another thing to explain what that means. And so, Simeon being a prophet, we would expect him now to deliver the message, and he explains why Christ came, and some of the things that he says here are the first statements in the gospel record about the work of Christ. In fact, so great is what Simeon says that Joseph and Mary marveled in verse 33, if they were astonished, how much more should we be astonished? And so, let's move from the ministry of Simeon to the message of Simeon. Look with me again, starting at verse 28, and notice his message. He took up Jesus in his arms, and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Let's look at this message, shall we, of Simeon. Because it is why it's a message of such great joy. Number one, Jesus brings salvation and no one else. In my Bible, I have an arrow that is drawn from verse 30 and the word seen back to verse 26 and the word seen. Uh, By the way, if there's ever a place here to draw in your Bible, this is the place. Connect those two words. Because Simeon was told in verse 26, he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now in verse 30, he holds the child in his arms and he says, Mine eyes have seen your salvation. Now can I ask you this morning? What's the connection? Isn't it clear? Christ brings salvation. Simeon, you won't die until you have seen the Lord's Christ. He holds the child. I now can die because mine eyes have seen God's salvation. Brothers and sisters, this is one of the first statements in all the Bible that Jesus is the only way. One of the first places we see that. Um, I read of a a person, a famous person, who said this. It's arrogant to say there's only one way to heaven. How would you answer that question? One of the best answers that I've ever heard was uh, from the pastor who married us. One day we were in his church. He was preaching. And this is what he said. He said, we don't say Christ is the only way because we're arrogant. We say it because it's true. And that's exactly right. If God sends a man of God who is a prophet of God to say Christ is the way to God, that's not arrogant. 
That's true. That's true. And Simeon, who would not lie and who could not err, says Jesus brings salvation, no one else. Secondly, notice what he says. Jesus gives you peace at death, not fear. Look at verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. So holding the baby, Simeon says, I am now ready to depart. This hymn here is named after the Latin words here. If you were to look up the title for this hymn of Simeon, it would be called Nunc Dimittis, which is after the Latin words for depart. Let your servant depart. And depart is a very beautiful word in Scripture that believers often used of their own coming death. Paul in Philippians 1.23 said, I desire to depart and to be with Christ. And that word has a very interesting background. It was used of taking down a tent and breaking camp. And so you know what death is for the believer? It is moving just from one place to the other. The word was also used of giving liberty to a slave and making that slave free. And so death for a believer is freedom from pain and sorrow. And look now what Simeon is saying. Having seen Christ, the bringer of salvation, he now has total peace in the face of his own death. I'll never forget when we brought my father over to uh, Jacob Eddy Veterans Home for the last seven months of his life. Uh, the doctor thought he was going to pass away much earlier. And he said to us, as he brought us out in the hallway, he said, uh, uh, now I can't work miracles here, he said. And we said, doctor, my dad's life is in God's hands, not in yours. And he is in total peace. And he's ready to go. And when God calls him, that's when the time will be. And what an opportunity just to give a testimony of the peace that Christ brings to believers as we face death. Look at the third thing that he says about Jesus. Jesus came for all peoples, not just some. Look at verse 31 that you have prepared in the presence for all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Do you know this is the first mention of Gentile salvation in all of the New Testament? And we have to ask the question, why here? Well, Luke is the only Gentile author of Scripture, isn't he? He's the only one. All the others were Jews. And so God gives Luke alone the privilege of including Simeon's prophecy because Luke was a Gentile and he would rejoice. This is not just a Jewish Savior, but this is a Gentile Savior too. How many are grateful he's a Gentile Savior? A lot more Jews here this morning than I thought. Look at number four. 
Jesus controls your destiny, not you. Look at verse 33. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is to be opposed. What is this imagery here of the fall and rising of many in Israel? Well, it's drawn from the imagery in the Old Testament in which the Messiah is compared to a stone. Uh, let me share with you some of those passages. Here's Isaiah eight fourteen and 15. Then he shall become a sanctuary. That's clearly for believers. But to both houses of Israel, a stone to strike and a rock to stumble over and a snare and a trap for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Many will stumble over them. Then they will fall and be broken. Or look at Psalm 118 and verse 22. The stone which the builders rejected is become the head of the corner. There's two things you know about this stone. You know that if you can climb up this stone and get to the top of it, that stone will become for you a rock of safety. But you also know if in your attempts to climb that stone, you stumble and fall, it will become a rock of harm and maybe even destruction. We all understand what the Bible is saying here. Jesus controls our destiny based on our response to Him. We do not control that destiny. I'll never forget a man downstate um, said to me one day, he said, uh, in my life as I resisted Christ and resisted salvation and becoming a Christian, he said that I, I used to say to myself, for me to become a Christian, a brick wall would have to fall on me. He said, can you believe this? One day I was on a construction site working on a brick wall. A huge gust of wind came up and blew the wall on top of me. Be careful what you say in the sight of God, right? And that incident so impacted that man, he began thinking, what must I do with Christ? And it began to draw him to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the same stone that will crush you if you reject it will raise you to heaven if you receive it. And then notice, finally, finally, Simeon says Jesus suffered and died so you wouldn't need to. Look at verse 35. He says to Mary, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that many thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. Would you please mark the little word also? Thank God for the also. 
You see, Mary would experience an emotional sword. But who would get a real sword? Her son. The baby. Simeon says to the mother, and you see her there in silhouette, here's what's going to happen to you, Mary. A sword is going to pierce your own soul. You're going to have emotional pain as you watch what your son goes through. But this is an also, Mary, because he's going to get a sword too. And it will be a real sword. And brothers and sisters, this is the first place in the Gospel record referring to Jesus' suffering and His death. And the message of the prophet, who was a man of God, so he would not lie, and a prophet of God, so he could not err, is that Jesus suffered and died, so you would not have to. Do you know Simeon is our example here today? Because back in verse 28, it says he took him up in his arms. And as I said to you, he's the only one in the record who is actually said to hold the baby Jesus. But here's the interesting part. The word to take up, it means to receive, to accept. As he came towards Mary, she held Christ out to him. And he reached out his arms and received and accepted. And thus he is our example as to what we must do. This is a true message. Jesus brings salvation, no one else. He gives you peace at death, not fear. He came for you. What you do with Him will determine your destiny. And He suffered and died so that you might not have to. Won't you receive Him? Won't you accept Him? There's no other way. Let's bow together, shall we? As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed,
What have you done with Jesus? The only thing keeping you from confidently placing your trust in Him as your Lord and Savior is you. The message is clear. The evidence for its truthfulness is overwhelming. And the issue is never that you can't believe. It is always you won't believe. And today, such a marvelous gift can only be received by an act of saving faith and trust. And from the depths of your heart, you can say, Lord Jesus Christ, it's clear who you are. It's clear what you have done. And it is clear what my need is. I need a Savior. I need a Lord. I need a King. My religion can't help me. My good works can't help me. My respectableness can't help me. Only a Savior can. And you can say to the Savior, Oh, Savior, I repent. I repent of my own thoughts, my own ways, my own life. And I come to You. Be my Savior this day. Be my Lord. Thank You for forgiving me. Thank You for providing eternal life for me. Thank You for inviting me into the family of God. And this day, being born anew, I now will live anew. I will follow You, Lord Jesus and live for You. I will grow in grace and in the knowledge of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I will live for the One who loved me and gave Himself for me. Thank You, Lord Jesus. Thank You, Lord Jesus. Father, the same Spirit that descended upon Simeon 
and enabled him to speak the truth is the same Spirit that is here today. Many people were milling about in the temple that day, but it was only the one to whom the Holy Spirit had revealed the truth who welcomed the Savior. And so we know, Holy Spirit, that we are dependent upon You. We know that unless You open blind eyes and soften hearts that have become calloused and hard, there will be no responsiveness to the Lord Jesus. And so, Spirit of God, do Your work today. We wait upon You for it. Change men and women, boys and girls, young people. Draw them to Jesus. We love You today because You first loved us. For Jesus' sake, amen.